Luke chapter 7. And I have to admit that uh, if it were just up to me to always select the preaching text, they would always be stories in the life of Jesus. That's where I really find uh, my greatest sense of, of understanding of who he is and uh, how he points us to the Father. But we try to discipline ourselves, but today we're fortunate because we have a story from the life of Jesus. Uh, this is a fairly familiar story. It sounds like another story that the other three gospel writers told, but this is a different one. So listen to it, try to hear it with fresh ears, and see some of the details that are in this story that aren't in the others, and uh, let the Word of God minister to you. Let's be standing, please, as we hear Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. May God bless the reading of his word. Pharisee here in the middle. He's introduced to us as an unknown Pharisee or as one of the Pharisees. Now, the reason I think Luke identifies him that way is because that immediately ties this story in with the stories that came before. Uh, you know, part of reading the Bible, especially the Gospels and understanding it, is asking, why does this story follow that story? 
Uh, because one story will give us something and then the next story kind of latches onto that and, and interprets or expands the meaning of it. If we back up a story here in Luke's gospel, we find out that the, the story right before this is when John the Baptist had sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus a rather shocking question. Does that ring a bell with you? John was in prison at the time for his ministry, and he was hearing about Jesus, but evidently Jesus was not doing the things that John had expected, or John wasn't at least hearing about the things Jesus was doing that he had been expecting. And so he began wondering. This is another great story because I love the fact that even John the Baptist, it was okay for him to occasionally wonder about things and to even doubt some things. But we can't talk about that story. We've got to go on. He sent two disciples, and he said, ask him. And Jesus said, well, you go back and tell him all that you're seeing, how the, the lame can walk and the blind can see, and, and I'm healing these people. And he'll know. He'll get it. He'll understand. And then he begins talking about John the Baptist to the people who are there. And he says, no person has ever been born who is as great as John the Baptist. And when the sinners, as is pointed out by, John, by Luke, when the tax collectors and the sinners heard this, they went, hooray! Because you see, they had been touched by the ministry of John. They had been baptized with the baptism of John. But Luke points out that the Pharisees turned around and started grumbling about all of this because they had not accepted John. And in fact, now that Jesus has come along, they're not accepting him either. And, and, and it gives us a little ditty that, that uh, Jesus uh, calls to mind, uh, a little ditty that the, the children sang in the marketplace. And it says, you're just like children because you guys criticize John the Baptist because he would not eat bread and he wouldn't drink your wine. And you called him just kind of a strange, weird guy. Well, I come and I eat your bread, I drink your wine, and you call me a drunk and a glutton. What's the deal? So these are the people that Jesus is talking to, these Pharisees. Isn't it ironic that right after he says that to the Pharisees, one of them invites him to dinner? Go figure. <laughs> I mean, they're criticizing him because he'll go eat and drink, and so they invite him to eat and drink. So what's going on with this Pharisee? Why did he do this? Well, there's a lot of possibilities. One is that he's trying to trap Jesus. Now, why would we think that? Why would we think that one of these Pharisees might be trying to trick him and be like a reporter these days, get one little sound bite, you know, that you can put on the news and run it over and over so that people will think that that person is discredited and, you know, you know how that goes. They did that, didn't they? Later on in the gospel, we read when, when it's, they, it's exactly what they were doing. They come and ask him questions and try to get him to say the wrong thing and to make a mistake. And it could be that he's trying to do that. But there's other possibilities. It could be that he's kind of practicing a self-righteous hospitality, you know. So he could say, I'm so good. I'm so open I'm so progressive, I even invited one of those people to my house. Now, that's an interesting 
idea because that would kind of go along with the reception he gave to Jesus, which as we read on in the story, you heard that really the Pharisee, he invited him, but he didn't really welcome him, did he? He didn't do some of the basic things of hospitality. Not that he had to, but it would have been nice for him to offer him some water or to even provide one of his servants to wash his feet so that he could be relaxed and feel clean to eat. Would have been really nice if he had grabbed him and given him a hug and given him those little kisses on the cheek that other cultures give. That, that would have been very hospi- uh, hospitable and very nice, but he didn't do that. And it would have been nice if he had given him some, some uh, uh, anointing oil to put on his head. And the reason they did that was, well, if you really want to know, People didn't smell good back then. Yeah. Uh, I bet every one of you almost in this room has had a bath or a shower already today. Uh, but that wouldn't be true back then. That, uh, cleaning up was rather rare. And if you were going to get a bunch of people in your house together, you stood there pouring perfume on them you know, as they walked in. Uh, so that uh, it would be... Not, but he didn't even do that for him. So... Maybe it is that he's just kind of trying to be the big guy. Maybe he drew the short straw that day that he had to have Jesus come and eat at his house. Or it could be that he was really curious. It could be that Jesus intrigued him and that he wanted to learn about Jesus. Now, we know that did happen among the Pharisees. Can anyone here name a Pharisee who was intrigued by Jesus and wanted to spend time visiting with him. Nicodemus, that's right. Remember him? Now that story is told in John, John chapter 3. And it could be that, that this Pharisee is, is like that too, that he's a little different from the ones who are just putting Jesus down. He's saying, you know, I need to look into this a little more. I need to find out. Now, something that might back that idea up is that he did have a little test prepared for him, didn't he? Or at least one came to his mind as the dinner went on. For when this woman came in and started doing these outrageous things to Jesus. Now, I know sometimes cultural difference makes, differences make things sound a little strange to us. But it was strange to them to have this woman bathing his feet in tears, taking her hair out of the covering, because women didn't do that except in the presence of their husbands, and drying his feet, and then kissing his feet. Now, that is as intimate-sounding to them as it is to us. So whenever this woman started doing these things... Then Simon said, well, there's my answer. This guy can't be a prophet because if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Isn't that interesting how he said Who, He would know her name and he would know what kind of woman she is. But Jesus kind of shot that test in the head, didn't he? Because he was able to tell the Pharisee what he was thinking and what was going on in his heart. And that's when he said, Simon, let me tell you a story. Now the woman, we don't know much about her either. All we know is that she lived in the city and that she was a known sinner. 
Okay, now most of you have already figured out what her sin is. But you could be wrong. That's not the only sin women commit. Okay? And Luke leaves this rather vague. He never does tell us this woman's name. And he never does tell us what her sin is. And I think I do know why he did that. I think he wants this person to be any sinner and any sin. When we read this story, if there is a blank place to insert our face, Luke is saying, put it here. Now, some people have tried to figure out who she is. Some people say that she's Mary, Lazarus' sister, because you see, every gospel writer has a story about Jesus being anointed with oil by a woman. However, the stories are different, and they occur at different times in his ministry. So sometimes we make the mistake of trying to combine all those together and say, well, they're all the same story, and we try to make them fit. That's not true. This story happens early in Jesus' ministry. The time that Mary anointed Jesus with oil was to prepare him for his burial at the end of his ministry. So this probably isn't Mary. Other people say, well, it sounds like it could be Mary Magdalene. You know, because Mary Magdalene, we know, was a great sinner, although we don't know that. I don't know why we are so, you know, want to jump off onto those things. But the, the reputation that Mary Magdalene has is that she had been this terrible, sinful person before, and before she came to Jesus. So, well, maybe it's Mary Magdalene. There's one other possibility that's thrown around a lot by people who study this story, and it's very intriguing. Throughout tradition and history, some have identified this woman as the woman of John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Remember that story? And some people said, wouldn't it be interesting if this were that woman? Because obviously, everyone would know that she is a sinner. And also, Jesus had forgiven her of her sins. And not only that, he had saved her life. They were ready to stone her to death. And it is he with his question or his his statement of saying, let he who is without sin cast the first stone that stopped that whole thing. So that would be interesting. I don't think it is, but I think it helps add to the texture of the story. To know that this woman truly was someone who carried around a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. And yet, that guilt had been lifted. And that shame had been taken away. And Luke wants us to know her only as any sinner who's committed any sin. We do know that the woman had obviously seen Jesus before. She had encountered him before. Whether that was in a crowd as she sat and listened to him and believed in him and accepted the forgiveness that he was offering. Or maybe face-to-face, one-on-one, she had had an encounter with him. We know that she had already met him before because that's what makes the story that Jesus tells make sense. It's what makes her response to him make sense. Because obviously she is showing her great love for him because 
of the salvation and the forgiveness that he has given her. So that brings us to that little story. It's one of the shorter parables that Jesus tells. It's a very simple parable. Hey, Simon, he says, suppose there's this guy that, that, that two men owe money to. He's a creditor, and one of them owes $50,000, and the other one owes $500. And neither one of them can pay their debt. And so the creditor just says, you know what, let's just forget them both. And the question is, now, which one of those guys is going to be the most gra- gra- grateful? Which one of them is going to love this creditor the most? And Salmon answers rightly when he says, well, I suppose it would be the one who had had the greater debt forgiven. And that's where Jesus says, you're right, you're right. And he goes on to point out then how much this woman is expressing and how deeply she is expressing her gratitude. And it's at that point that we begin to realize that this is more than just an interesting story, that this is a story that really defines for us what faith is, what salvation is. All the way through Luke's gospel, all the way through the book of Acts that he wrote as its sequel, Luke defines faith in this way. Faith is when you look at Jesus long enough with trusting eyes that you see the mercy of God. Faith is looking at the sun long enough until you experience the forgiveness of the Father. And whenever you experience that forgiveness, not just think about it, not just kind of read about it, but when it goes all the way through you, And you realize that God is truly a loving God, a merciful God, who will forgive you of your sins and lift your shame from your shoulders. Whenever you know that, everyone will see it because of your love, because of the passion you feel about this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love that you express to Him the way you sing your songs to Him, the way you pray about it, the way you talk about Him to others, all these ways that you so passionately love Him are simply because you really got it. You understood what He did for you. Now, it's interesting that as far as we know, Simon never got it. I hope he did later on, but the story doesn't tell us that. But you know... He needed it just as much. His sin may not have been a public as the woman. He was held high as a Pharisee, as a righteous person. But we know righteous people. We know ourselves. And we know that we all carry the guilt of sin. And we all carry its shame. Until through our faith in Christ, we feel it lifted away by the Father. Now, the way we know that's happened to us is the way we love. We used to sing a song when I was a youth minister called, Oh, Boys, Do You Love Jesus? Y'all don't sing that anymore, do you? It's, yeah, it's a little corny in ways, I guess. But. Oh, girls, do you love Jesus? 
Well, that's the question that this story asks. Do you, unknown sinner with an unknown sin, do you love your Lord? Let's stand and sing.